Shocked by your wireless bill every month? All those ridiculous fees and tacked on taxes? You end up paying hundreds more a year than the price you expected. Switch to T-Mobile One because taxes and fees are now included. Right now, for just $100 a month with AutoPay, get two lines of unlimited data. That's two lines for $100, all in, all unlimited. Don't wait. Hurry to a T-Mobile store to switch and start saving hundreds today. Top 3% of data users greater than 30 gigabytes per month may notice reduced speeds. Sales tax included. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. My guest for this morning is Alan Ted. She is an internationally known clairvoyant counselor who has been teaching and counseling for more than 30 years. Her work has been supported by the Edgar Casey Foundation, the Marin Institute, Deepak Chopra, Child Spirit Institute, and the Institute of Noetic Sciences. Ellen and I will be discussing her latest book, The Infinite View, a guidebook for life on Earth. Good morning, Ellen. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing this morning? Oh, I'm doing wonderful. Thank you, Johnny. Glad to be with you. It is a pleasure to have you on the air with me. The Infinite View, a guidebook for life on Earth is an excellent read. The awesome insights are eloquently shared with grace and to me, this is a beautiful, beautiful spiritual memoir. So congratulations. Thank you. Let us start by getting to know you a little bit better. Please give us a quick walkthrough of your life from childhood to the present moment. Well, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> well, when I was a child, I was considered a sensitive child. I, I saw uh, faces in the dark. I had some out-of-body experiences where I would uh, leave my body, float on the ceiling, and look down and see my body asleep, and I wondered who I was. Am I the body on the bed, or am I on the ceiling? And I, I was raised by my father, who was a physicist, so I grew up in a scientific-oriented household, and my mother had a severe case of MS. She woke up blind when I was two, and was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And so as I grew older, I watched her uh, fall apart physically and mentally, and I was always asking why. Why is it that I have a sick mother, and why is life as it is? I told my father I could see molecules, and he took me to an electron microscope and showed me what molecules look like, and then I knew I wasn't seeing molecules. What I was seeing was energy, etheric energy. But no one around me seemed to understand what I was talking about. So I felt a lot of confusion as a child. I was often overwhelmed by my sensitivity. I would uh, pick up on the feelings of my teachers. But I, I always felt loved, and I had a brother who took me under his wing and and so I had a very fun childhood in the midst of my sensitivity and my mother's illness. But uh, as I grew older, I couldn't really just plug into life without a deeper understanding of its meaning. I was naturally philosophical. And when I was 17, my mother died. And when I was 19, she came back and talked to me. And it was a very dramatic experience. And basically, her message was, uh, do not mourn for me. I chose what I endured to learn compassion for those who suffer. And she said, no matter how things appear, if you look deeply, you will see there are always reasons and there's always justice. And then after that, it was really like a veil was lifted and I stopped fighting my natural sensitivity and I started to see people's previous lives, including my own, which helped me to piece together why our lives are as they are. And I started being trained also by magnificent beings in the spiritual world. They said, we will teach you how to be a sensitive in an insensitive world. And they did. 
And so then eventually, after about 10 years of training, I started to teach others what I've been taught. Very interesting. Would there someone in your family tree that has these wonderful gifts? Well, I didn't, I didn't know about it, actually, until just a few years ago. I learned that my aunt, my mother's sister, mm-hmm. had, um, had done readings for people, and she was so accurate that it scared her, and she stopped. Mm-hmm. I also heard stories from my father that he had precognitive experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he said he knew we were going to move to Amherst, Massachusetts, way before we did. Um, he also um, told me that when he would start a research project, he would begin by listening to classical music, which I think was his inspiration and his form of meditation. And then he said ideas would be given to him that he knew came to him instead of from him. And so he um, then would go to the library to research them. So he, he had his own experiences. I, I really think everyone has access to the spiritual world in mm-hmm. one way or another. Yeah, sometimes just in the shower, people get an insight, and it <laughs> isn't theirs. It comes yes. to them. In your book, that's what you talk about in terms of everyone has the ability to tap into this divine resource. And yet, most of the time, actually, if not all the time, depending on what you do and so forth, you do get these wonderful ideas, and some of these ideas are divinely given to you without you even realizing it and or not necessarily that we go through the denial process but we just thought hey i just thought of that that thought is actually divinely inspired yes i love that phrase divine resource i think that's a wonderful way to say it yes we are all spirit temporarily on the earth and we have access to the spiritual world in so many different ways and I want to help remind people of this mm-hmm. As sometimes people have access through the dream state where they actually leave their bodies and have experiences and then come back um, so yes I, I really see that we all have the capacity to tap into this resource And so I talk about examples and tools that can help people have conscious awareness of of, uh, their spiritual connection. Wonderful. When did you realize that this is a divine gift versus, say, for example, like, wow, you know, I'm just more aware than others, so to speak, and use it truly as a divine gift? Well, I think that... I always felt my sensitivity was a problem until after my mother came back and talked to me. Mm-hmm. And that's when I, I realized that, that, that my sensitivity actually uh, was valuable, but I needed to be trained in order to use it well. Very interesting. What fascinates you about your ability to see beyond the norm? Well, I, I think that it's all perception. When someone walks in a room and we turn to see who it is, we're all going to perceive that person to varying degrees. And I believe that what we focus on is what we see. And when we're children, we're taught to look at something and identify it, you know, a cup or a chair but we're not taught to see the energy around the thing or to recognize that everything is energy and everything is interconnected. So what my guides did for me is they taught me to focus differently. And I found that as I changed the way I focused, I changed the way I perceived. Very interesting. One of the things you talk about in the book is the fact that a group of people going into a room 
feeling so good, and I'm using a layman's term here in terms of the highness of thinking about this individual that is in front of the room about to give a speech, that positive energy actually camouflage the true identity of the person who's giving the speech because that person giving that speech may not necessarily be a good person, but yet everyone get riled up by their own energy that wraps up this individual person. Yes, you're referring to a specific story in my book. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I learned in that experience is um, I, I went to hear someone give a talk and there was a big crowd, and the enthusiasm, the positivity of the crowd created this very expansive feeling. But the, you know, I could see the aura of the person talking, and it was gray and not very illuminated. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think we see this in politics. I think we can see it in a lot of different circumstances where the group positivity or the group positive anticipation creates this feeling of unity and can create a feeling of positivity that can actually distort the ability to see clearly who the leader is. I thought that was fascinating when you came up with basically a true insight at the situation because that's what you talk about when people just get carried away whether it's emotions or the rah 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 of the moment, and of course, in this case, is we create that energy ourselves. Usually, more potent in a group dynamic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So true. How has your communication with your guides evolved over the years? Well, that's an interesting question. Actually, at the beginning, they. Um, they communicated with me pretty constantly. Um, And that as I learned from them, they communicated less because they felt that it's very much like a parent, you know, or a teacher, Mm -hmm. where when you're raising a child, you're at the beginning, you know, with them all the time, helping them learn and helping them to grow and develop. But as they mature then they become more independent. So I actually don't have as much contact with them as I used to because they feel that I should have learned (laughs) enough (laughs) to not need them so much. Interesting. How about talking to someone else's guides? Well, when I do private sessions, you know, I... I use the word clairvoyant because I'm very much of a visionary. Mm -hmm. And vision can happen in our mind's eye or it can happen externally. There's internal vision and external vision. Internal vision isn't as dramatic, but it's more practical because you you can drive and do all kinds of things and have internal vision. So I, I have a lot of visions and when I work with someone on a one-to-one, I'm really sharing what I'm seeing. And I often feel that these are visions that are given to me. Mm -hmm. So if I'm working with someone um, and they want to know about their guides, I will, I will tell them what I see and, and also whatever message there might be. But You know, what I'm most interested in is teaching people to have their own experiences. Mm -hmm. I usually work with people one-on-one just a little bit, and then if they're really interested in my work, I usually have them join a class or a workshop because I don't so much want to be the authority with the answers. I really want to empower people to expand their own perceptions and have their own direct experiences. Wonderful. Why did you decide to write The Infinite View? Well, it actually is a book I started working on a long time ago. Um, and basically, the, um, the tools and the fundamental 
principles in the book are linked to a beginning course that I've taught for many years, even though there's also my own narrative, which explains how I learned these things. It's very much linked to this beginning course. And when I started teaching this course, people loved it. It really helped them. It improved their quality of life. It expanded their perception. They really got to feel that they were spirit and human and all that that means. And so after teaching that course for a while, I thought, well, let me expand my audience and share this material because it's so helpful. And so I started to write it. But my guides had said it's not the right time. And so they held me back from getting this book published until it was the right time. And I think what they meant by that is that if I had published this 20 years ago, it would not be as able to move into mainstream because in the last 20 years, there's a much greater openness to the kinds of things that I'm writing about. That's correct. I think globally, when we talk about energies here, I think globally, the entire world has shifted spiritually. Yes. Now, whether it's by design or by things that just happens, whatever that is, it is a good move in a way. But unfortunately, certain circumstances that sort of nudge the energy towards spirituality may not necessarily be what it is, but unfortunately, like war and, and death and sorrow and so forth, that people tend to start looking into spirituality for answers. However, we're living in a closed system. No matter whatever energy that is out there, you cannot create balance without creating disorder somewhere else. So that is that yin and yang concept, so to speak. But in the end, it's all good because it's raises the sense of one's awareness of wanting to know what is more than what we are at this moment in time. Well, the other message from my mother really was the message of I'm learning, I learned about compassion. Mm -hmm. So when we go through difficulty and life on this earth is not easy right now, and our history as a humanity has been full of suffering and challenges. And through that process, there are lessons to be learned. And what I see is life on the earth is, is very much our school. It's a place that we can learn about ourselves and learn to actualize spiritual principles my guides say we're here to learn, we're here to contribute, and we're here to enjoy. And the process of understanding why our lives are as they are is directly linked to our previous incarnations and lessons that we're learning. Very interesting. What would you like for the readers to gain from reading The Infinite View? Well, I think, first of all, life is more than we've been taught it is. And we are more than we have been taught we are. I think that when we have a deeper sense of our identity and a deeper sense of our purpose, then we become very motivated to bring our best self to life, even if we're not getting everything we want. You know, culturally, we're taught that happiness is getting what we want. But my guides have taught me that happiness is self-actualization. It's the actualization of our spiritual nature. And the change of the definition of happiness means that we stop being a victim of circumstance. And what's most important is how we're being. How is spirit soul and personality difference with respect to our identity? So very early in my training, I was taught that everyone has a spirit, everyone has a soul, and everyone has a personality. And the definition of spirit is a spark of the God force, 
that within each of us we have this enlightened self. And the spirit in each person has a different emphasis. One person may emphasize creativity, another nurturing, another power. Whatever our particular spiritual emphasis is, it doesn't change. It goes from one life to the next and one dimension to the next. I remember once I was told that our spiritual emphasis is our particular instrument in the orchestra of life. And then over the spirit is our soul, which is the container of the spirit. And it allows the spirit to have individuality and animation. The soul is very complicated where the spirit is simple. The soul contains all of our past life patterns, traumas, talents, and skills that have accumulated through all of the many lives we've lived. And in the soul, there's a concept called first error or the original attitude that was not in harmony with our spiritual nature. This is our deepest lesson. And when we incarnate, we're guided towards circumstances that bring it up so we can work on it. And then the personality is over the soul. And the personality is influenced by genetics, conditioning from parents, society, and education. This is where typical psychology stops. So nature and nurture. And then my guides and my own experience adds past life influences and influence from our spiritual essence. And then the fulfillment comes from bringing the spiritual essence into the personality level. What they say is our two biggest challenges are past life fears and traumas that are not resolved yet and cultural conditionings that obscure our true nature. So that's a lot of words, I know, but it's the <laughs> basic cosmology that I've been taught. It's very interesting because what I gather from it is spirit is universal. You and I all connected to the spirit side of the equation. And then you have the soul, which is my own spirit have endured over the many past life, the accumulation of things that I've known and experienced. And then finally, personality is the present moment what I'm going through right now as a human being in this lifetime. Influenced by all these different factors. Yes. So you true. know, I, I think it's so interesting. You can see siblings in the same family who are very mm -hmm. different. Mm -hmm. Same genetics, same environment, but different souls, different past lives, and different spiritual nature. Very interesting. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. I'm Johnny Tan, your host, and my guest for this morning is Alan Tad. She is an internationally known clairvoyant counselor who has been teaching and counseling for more than 30 years. We are discussing her latest book, The Infinite View, a guidebook for life on Earth. Alan, what is inner first era and outer first error. I know you had mentioned something about first error in your previous answer to the question, but what are these things? So first error is um, the original attitude that was not in harmony with our spiritual nature. In Christianity, they talk about original sin, mm -hmm. but my experience is it's just not the same for everyone. We have our own brand of imbalance, our own brand of fear and confusion. And as I've traced people back in their reincarnation process, I've found that sometimes the original fear or imbalance has to do with an internal um, feeling about oneself a feeling of inadequacy or a feeling of feeling internally unsafe, where other people have what I call an external first error, where the original imbalance is more about being reactionary to how others are. So internal first error is a negative response to how we are, an external first error is a negative response to how others are. 
Very interesting. How does the spirit heal the soul? Well, it's a phrase from my guides, the spirit heals the soul. And what they mean Mm -hmm. is that within the spirit, there are fundamental principles that hold life together, such as love, compassion, wisdom, um, harmony, acceptance. Mm -hmm. There are many fundamental spiritual principles. And they say... The way that you can know a fundamental spiritual principle is you cannot have too much of it. You cannot have too much love or too much balance or too much compassion. But you can have too much generosity. So that isn't what they mean by a spiritual principle. If you can have too much of it, it's not universal. So they say that the spirit is made up of these universal principles. And the more we feel them, express them, manifest them, the more we heal. The more we heal past life fears and traumas, the more we heal our soul and help it to evolve. So they're very interested in the idea of integrating spiritual principles into our everyday life. That pretty much is sort of awareness, I guess. It's awareness. And also the power of decision-making mm-hmm. to um, make wise choices. Like, for example, someone can you know, love their child very much, but then give them way too much candy right. for their health. So I see that that feeling of love is there, but the manifestation of it, the loving action is is not there. So the process of integrating the feeling with the manifestation is key. What is attunement? You talk a lot about attunement in your book. Yes, attunement is the word I use and have been taught to explain the ability to align our conscious mind with spirit. That within spirit, within us and spirit outside of us, uh, it is conscious, it is communicative, it's the life force. And I found that through deep listening, which is a meditation, and also deep focus, when we go deeply into our senses, we're able to access what is underneath the surface. And the spirit and its consciousness is underneath the surface. And this connection with spirit can guide our lives. What you're talking about is basically going inward, finding the answers, not necessarily the answers, but the connection is inward. And I love the way you had listed all the seven chakras in our body. How does the seven chakras contribute to our very being? Well, the chakras exist. Uh, um, All the organs in our body functioned in their proper way before people understood anatomy and physiology. Chakras function whether people understand them or not. They're in the energy body, the etheric body. And so just as our organs can be harmed or helped, depending on our behaviors, our choices, you know, we've learned that if we exercise, it helps keep our heart strong. Well, each chakra has a role to play and can be harmed or helped depending on our behavior and our choices. So I became quite interested in the chakra system as a way to understand human behavior. I didn't read about them. I just watched them for a couple of decades. And then I wrote a little book called The Wisdom of the Chakras. And so for me, the understanding the chakra system is wonderful. It's like a checklist in understanding human development, our own and others. And it's a way of understanding strengths and weaknesses in a very succinct and simplified way. 
you are very focused on activating the third eye chakra. Why is that important? So the third eye chakra, which is located in the middle of the forehead, is the center of wisdom. It's the center of spiritual perception. It's the center of good decision-making. And I've found that how we perceive informs how we feel. My guide once said to me, do not follow what you feel. Feelings come from many places. They can come from fear. They can come from clarity. They can come from the opinions of others. And so the third eye is the center of clear perception. And they say that when you focus out of the third eye, the clarity of the third eye informs our emotions. So I call this the kingpin of the chakra system. You know, and I'm not Christian or Buddhist or any religion, but I love the quote from the Bible, if thy eye be single, the whole body will be filled with light. And I've seen this to be true, that when we focus out of the middle of our forehead and activate the third eye, our auras double and triple in size because we move into a positive clarity. Very interesting. What is the THAD technique? The TAD technique is the comparison of perception from the gut, the solar plexus chakra, with the third eye in the middle of the forehead. And when I started learning about the power of the third eye, I started testing it on my clients. Remember, I was raised by Mm -hmm. scientists. So I really approached all of my experiences in a very methodical way, And I wanted to see if I could reproduce the effect. So I had my students focus in the gut and focus on a scenario and then focus out of the third eye in the middle of the forehead, look at the same scenario. And after I did this with large numbers of people, I was amazed because people would go from confusion to clarity. They would go from anger to acceptance. They would go from... um, Uh, withdrawing to being proactive it was significant and so the TAD technique is this comparison of perception and I I tell people how to do it in a chapter in the infinite view and the experiential change is so significant and as my guides say it's a pivot away you just change your focus and the way you perceive a situation changes for the better. Not that it will be a pretty face. It changes <laughs> for the better in that we'll see more clearly and more honestly. And then we'll be better equipped to know what to do and how to navigate the circumstance. Very interesting. Well, you talk about people in general look at problems or situations through their own habit lens. And so whatever that habit may be, that's what the lens is. When I talk, I mention there are basically two but separate equal forces that govern all our decision-making, love or fear. So depending on which lens that you look at a situation, if you look through the lens of love, then that thought process is a little bit different than through the lens of fear. Yes. Um, you'll, you'll see in my book, I talk about how important it is to unite the third eye with the heart. Mm-hmm. Because I, my guides have this great phrase, they say the heart is a radiator, not a discriminator. And so the heart is the center of love where you feel love And the third eye can guide us in how best to express that love. Because sometimes people have really good intentions, but things don't go very well. And Mm -hmm. so I found that the winning combination is a combination of the heart and the third eye together. Wonderful. How can we truly experience working with consciousness? Well, we all have consciousness 
every day in our own way. Um, but I think one really potent thing I learned about consciousness, which changed my relationship with it, was that it's not just contained within our bodies, that it can be stretched. My guides have a phrase that consciousness is like a rubber band. You can stretch it. So, you know, my... Um, my son lives in China, and I can stretch my consciousness over there, and I can tell you how he's doing today. Or I can stretch my consciousness into my liver and tell you how's it functioning. Once we accept that consciousness is not just contained within our bodies and our brains, but is able to gather knowledge and experience through focus, then it changes a lot. It allows us to um, understand another person by projecting into them instead of projecting ourselves onto them. I love the concept of projecting our consciousness to our loved one. That's one of the things that fascinates me because I have loved ones living abroad. My sister still lives in Malaysia and I'm here in the United States. So how does one truly experience that well when i teach teach this in my course i start with a simple exercise where i'll put a piece of color fabric on the floor in the middle of the classroom and i have people project their consciousness into the color and people feel the quality of the blue and then i'll put the fabric which is red and they'll feel the quality of the red and so I try to bring people along gradually that we can project our consciousness kind of like throwing a um, a fishing line into the water mm-hmm. our consciousness can be thrown and so we expand on that you know and then we project into a person and And at first, people don't think they can do this, but then they find they can, that they're able to pick up certain things about people through projecting their consciousness. And then we we start practicing with people from a distance. And when you do it in a group, and people can confirm for each other the accuracy then people start to learn to differentiate what I call the bing and the thud, accuracy Mm -hmm. from inaccuracy. And so the ability to read energy, the ability to read people, the ability to read circumstance gets enhanced, but it's a skill, very much like learning to read, that you, you know, you... You learn the letters and then you put them together, learn sounds, and then you learn the words. And so it's a process. But what I tell people in the book is first and foremost, know that this is available to everyone. And if we accept that our consciousness can do this, then you start experimenting with it. Very interesting. It reminded me of what one of my moms told me. She said, do you realize that at any given time in our atmosphere, like right now, the air that we can't really see has thousands of sound waves, broadcasts, and so forth. And frequencies, yes. That's correct. That's the word, frequency. (laughs) The question is, do you have your antenna dialed up or dialed down to pick up that frequency? Well, when I first started having experiences, you know, in my early Mm -hmm. 20s, Mm -hmm. I was overwhelmed by everything because I was picking up on so much and I was indiscriminate. You know, for many years I lived on a dead-end dirt road in the woods, so I (laughs) wouldn't be overwhelmed. And, And then I learned. I learned to turn it off and turn it on, just like a radio. I want to focus this way, but not this way. And mm-hmm. so now mm-hmm. I can activate, but I don't have to. And so now I live in a city, which back then I, I, I probably could not have tolerated living in a city because 
I would have been picking up on way too much. And, you know, many people that I train are sensitive mm-hmm. to get overwhelmed by picking up on too much. They, they overabsorb the feelings of other people. They get overwhelmed. And through the teachings of my guides, they learn how to uh, turn it off and turn it on, and then it's yeah. no longer overwhelming. Very interesting. You are listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. My guest is Alan Tad. She is an internationally known clairvoyant counselor who has been teaching and counseling for more than 30 years. We are discussing her latest book, The Infinite View, a guidebook for life on earth. I'm your host, Johnny Tan. Your book talks about positivity. What are the benefits of combining inspiration and affirmation? Yes, um, inspiration is so important, and yet it's, it has a simplicity. One of my favorite quotes is by Emily Dickinson. She said she knows a poem by two things. One, when she feels chills all over her body and can't get warm sitting next to a fire. And two, when she feels the top of her head come off. <laughs> and I love this because what I've observed is that when people are genuinely inspired, the top of their head energetically opens. And in the chakra system, this is the crown chakra. The crown chakra at the top of the head, I call it the key to happiness chakra, because when we're inspired and the crown chakra opens, we feel glad to be alive. So using inspiration as a tool is one of our greatest tools to weave inspiration into our life, to reach out for it, to seek it, because it makes us feel glad to be alive. And it's also inspiration, another way of thinking about it, it's in spirit. And when we have this openness in the crown chakra and a feeling of inspiration, it gives us access to the spiritual world and to our guides because it's through this crown chakra that we can access them. Now, affirmation is, affirmation is a positive affirmative statement. And when um, we use affirmations, we cultivate positive attitudes. And positive attitudes protect us from over-absorbing negativity And I find that when you put together positive attitudes and the openness of inspiration, it's a wonderful combination of feeling expanded, spiritually connected, and yet protected from over-absorbing fears and negativity in the world by the cultivation of positive attitudes. So true. I also like the concept of newness that you introduce in the book because it's all about attitude and about giving yourself the opportunity to explore. Yes. Well, I've been taught that no day is ever the same. No person is ever the same. No drive home or walk home is ever the same because life is constantly changing. And that when we focus on the nuance of change, then it enlivens us. We are then more able to experience childlike joy, and we don't get into the rut of the feeling of same old, same old, because through the nuance, we encourage change and growth. And, you know, it's, uh, it's a wonderful exercise. The affirmation I was taught is, I am filled with newness, and I experience life anew. And from that place, there's always learning, there's always creativity. It's a very simple attitude, but I encourage the listeners to try it because it has a big impact to try this simple attitude. I agree. It's a question of whether you're looking in the rearview mirror or you're looking through 
the windshield <laughs> going forward. <laughs> Your book talks about asking and listening, and I thought this chapter was very, very interesting. How does deep listening work? Well, I am a meditation teacher as well, and um, I learned very early that I needed to learn to meditate in order to interpret the kinds of experiences that were happening to me. But when I teach meditation, it's not a relaxation exercise. It's learning to still brain chatter so we can listen deeply, and then it becomes an interactive process. So for me, meditation, or learning to still the brain chatter, is the listening side of the equation, and then the other side is asking a question. So I can go into meditation. I did this morning because I had a very busy day. I went into meditation and I asked, what are my priorities today? And I listened. And then I knew what to focus on so that I didn't feel overwhelmed or stressed because the process of determining my priorities came from a a state of deep listening. So I use asking and listening in many different capacities all throughout the day. Very, very interesting. Can fear inhibit our capacity to manifest our desire? I have a chapter in The Infinite View called Fear and Desire. And again, my guides are the source of my learning. And they taught me that what we most fear and what we most desire are the same thing. We desire, we, excuse me, we fear we're not going to get what we want. Whatever it is we most want, which is not the same for everyone. And they've also taught me that as we diminish our fears, we are more able to manifest our desires. And that if we don't diminish our fears, it becomes more difficult to manifest our desires. So I found this really enlightening. And it, it made so much sense. And that part of our purpose here is to work through our fears. So I've been taught to identify my fears, to walk toward them, and to walk through them so that they can not have power over me. That's true. Very true. How do we know it is destiny and not choice? Your book talks about destiny and choice. Can you elaborate on that, please? Well, to me, it's the most interesting question of all. What is destiny and what is choice? And I've learned that that we have a combination of both. Although some people have more destiny and some people have more choice. You know, I, I write about this and I give examples. Um, when there are aspects of destiny, it's as if blocked paths just open up without our doing. Or sometimes these barriers get thrown up. It's like me wanting to publish my book sooner and my guide saying, it's not time. So barriers were put in my way. And then when it was time, it was like the road just opened and it went quickly. So what I find is some people are waiting and looking for their destiny and they may be wasting time because they need to create it. And other people are trying to create it, but life won't let them because the destiny needs to present itself at the right time. So everyone has a different mix, and I always suggest using attunement, which is deep focus, the third eye, deep listening, meditation, to determine whether we should act or wait. Very interesting. In the asking and listening section, you talk about listening versus intuition. I thought we are supposed to be listening to what we're getting, and yet 
intuition is not necessarily good at times. Can you elaborate on that? Well, you know, the word intuition is a very, very popular and is very commonly used. Mm-hmm. What I found is that it's a very broad term and that it can be confusing. I've had clients who say, you know, like, for example, uh, a woman whose boyfriend broke up with her and she said, my intuition says he's coming back. And I looked at it and said, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. And so I hear people get confused. You know, how do we know when we know, right? And so instead of using the word intuition, I've tried to tease that apart and get very specific. When do we have a knowing that comes from deep within our own spirit? When do we have a knowing that comes from a guide over our shoulder? When do we have a knowing that comes from the universal God force? And so to me, intuition is what I call an umbrella term. It's a broad term. And I think it's more helpful for people to learn where the knowledge is coming from and to learn to be specific. So I I emphasize that. I try to teach it. And I think the skill of deep meditation and the activation of the third eye really helps tremendously. Very, very interesting. When does humility contribute to greatness? Well, I have a chapter about this, and um, this whole concept came to my awareness when I had a good friend who had deep feelings of inadequacy, and I asked my guide what could heal it, and he said, humility. And he said that, you know, so often when someone's feeling inadequate and we want to help them, we're told, you know, tell them they're great, build them up. Tell them they're great, mm-hmm. but it doesn't work. My guide says humility is the antidote because from humility, we're only one small significant part of the whole. And from the feeling of humility, we can relax because we don't have to be anything more than what we are. So they say humility antidotes inadequacy and spiritual greatness antidotes, egotism. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like homeopathy. And homeopathy means like heals like. Mm -hmm. And essentially they're saying humility heals inadequacy and greatness heals egotism. And that when you put the two together, I am filled with humility and I am filled with greatness, then what you have is this feeling of I am the creator and I am but one small creation. And they say that is what the truth is. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. Is perfection the goal or the journey? Perfection is the process. Perfection is a word my guides use to describe the interconnection of everything that we may seem separate, but we're not. Our learning, our thoughts, our evolution is interconnected, they say, with every aspect of life. And so they say perfection is not only my lesson, but how my lesson intersects with the lessons of others. They say that no no. Circumstance is ever perfect, but all circumstance is in perfection. This is their language and their way of saying that no matter what's happening, the process has value and is part of the evolution of life. So you will experience excellence in your life in the process of pursuing perfection? Well, That's interesting. I haven't been asked that question before. Um, I think, what is excellence? Excellence, 
Well, learning a skill. I mean, if you want to be excellent at playing the guitar, you have to make mistakes in order to improve, in order to achieve excellence. So they would say that the mistakes are part of the perfection on the way to achieving excellence. Love it. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) What advice do you have for someone who is a skeptic or afraid to step out of their comfort zone to experience spirituality? Well, I was a skeptic before I had my own experiences, so I respect when people are. I think the only the only thing I would suggest is be opened. Be opened and let life reveal itself. I I think that when people learn to meditate, they have new experiences. So, be opened and everyone will learn in that process. I think it's when we become rigid, closed-minded, that um, the growth process gets stunted. I feel like I'm always learning. I'm a teacher, but I'm definitely a student. Where can someone go to get more information about you, buy your books, and attend your classes and workshops? So my book, uh, The Infinite View, is uh, available online, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, sold where books are sold. Um, My website is ellentad, T-A-D-D, two Ds, dot com. And um, right now I'm spending time promoting my book, but I will be teaching more in the future. And so I have an event page on my website. And um, so I, I look forward to getting feedback about the infinite view from people who read it and, and uh, seeing whether uh, the material in the book uh, is helpful, as I hope it will be. Wonderful. By the way, we're coming close to the end of the hour since our show is about people, family, and living life. Would you like to share a recipe for living with our listeners this morning? Uh, A simple recipe? Um, Well, I go back to everyone is here to, to learn, to contribute, and to enjoy. And our learning has to do with learning to love, learning to create, learning to actualize our potential, learning to actualize the spiritual principles, to enjoy the gift of life, and to make a contribution to help others in their learning and in their evolution and in their enjoyment of life as well. That's wonderful. Ellen, thank you for the great recipe for living and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, Please join me next Tuesday morning, April 24th. My guest will be Alex Kajati. He is the 2009 California Teacher of the Year and a top four finalist for National Teacher of the Year. His book, Owning It, Proven Strategies for Success in All of Your Roles as a Teacher Today, was named recommended reading by the U.S. Department of Education. He has a popular TED Talk and has been honored at the White House. Alex and I will be discussing his latest book, co-authored with Amy Newmark, titled Chicken Soup for the Soul, Inspiration for Teachers, 101 Stories About How You Make a Difference. The book provides our educators with inspiration and positive reinforcement they deserve every day. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to fmmktalkradio.com. Thank you for listening and have a blessed week. Ellen, it has been a true pleasure. Thank you again and have a blessed day. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you very much for this opportunity. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Okay, keep your eyes closed. Okay. I want to show you my first ever painting. Ooh, all right. Okay. Open your eyes. Oh, that's a lot of colors mm -hmm. <laughs> and shapes. So be honest. What do you think? Well, uh, I like how if you switch to Geico, you could save hundreds of dollars on car insurance. Oh yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. Here, why don't I hold your paintbrush while you call them? Geico, because saving 15% or more on car insurance is always a great answer. Shocked by your wireless bill every month? All those ridiculous fees and tacked-on taxes? You end up paying hundreds more a year than the price you expected. Switch to T-Mobile One because taxes and fees are now included. Right now, for just 100 bucks a month with AutoPay, get two lines of unlimited data. That's two lines for $100, all in, all unlimited. Don't wait. Hurry to a T-Mobile store to switch and start saving hundreds today. Top 3% of data users greater than 30 gigabytes per month may notice reduced speeds. Sales tax included. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.